good. Let's go for it. <laughs> We're currently recording. <laughs> Welcome to Morning Synth. Today we bring you the first ever mobile synth live from campsite 20 something in Indian Creek, Utah. And for today's episode, we will be interviewing Brittany Garris out in the desert. So Brittany Garris is supposedly the big loser from the J-Tree shit list, according to multiple folks, or potentially one or two people. One person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready to get started? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. All right. So first question, where are you? Where are we? We are in Indian Creek. Uh, it is Halloween, and we all look ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Indian Creek is in near Canyonlands in sort of the middle of nowhere in the Utah desert. And it's home to a large amount of rock climbing um, and other debaucherous things. <laughs> so first, uh, I guess, second question. You're currently living here, yes? Yes. Uh, I live in my van. And I consider Indian Creek to be sort of like a home. I spend a lot of the year here and uh, I visit pretty regularly and uh, I I work remotely so kind of wherever I land is home. But yeah. Very cool. And so you're currently living on the road and you're living in, what are you living in? I live in a Ford E150. Uh, it breaks down a lot. <laughs> Which is, if you don't know what that is, it's a really generic cargo van. Um, I can't stand up in it, but I used to live in a Honda CRV, and I'm five foot eleven, so it's a major upgrade for me. So why live in a van? Um, I well, I want to be able to rock climb as much as I possibly can, and I was based in Seattle before this, and you can't climb there most of the year because it's raining. So uh, I fell in love with traveling, and uh, living in a van really enables a lot of you to travel. And I really like meeting people and seeing new places, and so it just kind of all enables all of that. That's super cool. So our Morning Synth readers would like to know, how big are your fingers? <laughs> you know, it's a funny question because my fingers change a lot. Um, if you know anything about climbing, they used to be um, 0.4 sized and they have gone up to 0.5 sized. I don't know what that translates to in inches, but essentially the more I climb cracks, the more they grow. Um, I worked on a climb a lot this winter that caused some permanent damage to my right index finger and I nicknamed it El Gigante because it's it's huge like <laughs> my fingers are, are very large I'm a big person in general I'm five foot eleven like I said 
and I have bigger hands than most men that I meet, and my fingers are swelling over time to be proportional to that. <laughs> what kind of injury um, occurred to El Gigante? Oh, you know, I don't actually know what caused it. It's got this weird bump kind of around the knuckle, but I just climbed a route that was like, pretty much put all my body weight on like that digit. And after several weeks, it started to hurt a lot and swell a lot. And it never really went back to normal. So I don't really know what caused it. I don't know that much about anatomy to be able to say, but it, it just... It is what it is now. Does it still work all right? Uh, yeah, if I climb too aggressively, it hurts. But uh, it's other than that, it's fine. It's, it's kind of nice. Like I can, I have like a lot of different sized fingers for different sized cracks. So <laughs> you get to pick and choose. <laughs> it's kind of an advantage sometimes. So for all of the folks that don't know much about rock climbing, you're saying that you were hanging from a cliff by a single finger? Um, you know, it was, uh, essentially, yeah, it was, it was, uh, the hardest route I've ever climbed and it was very overhung and, and there was one, the hardest move that I fell on a bunch, like your, your feet are pretty marginal and all of your weight is like on one finger and then the other fingers are kind of stacked on top of it. So you have other fingers in the crack, but one of them really bears a lot more weight than the rest. And so it's not like I was dangling by just one, anything like, you know, not like a scene out of cliffhanger or something, but <laughs> if you want to picture that, then that gives me a little more street cred. So maybe I should have just gone with it. Well, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> so um, living on the road, living in a van, um, it is very likely that you've probably eaten some very interesting things. So we'd like to know, what's the coolest thing that you've ever eaten out of a dumpster? Ooh, okay. Um, I've had a lot of good dumpster scores in my, my time on the road. I think, uh, let's see, most interesting... Um, actually, here in Indian Creek is some of the is home to some of the best dumpster dumpster scores that I've ever found. Um, I don't know that I've. Uh, let's see. Last the first season that I was here, there's uh, a huge potluck on Thanksgiving, and we went to town and we jumped in the dumpster and we found a ton of bagged salads. And we we're like, oh, perfect! We'll bring um, a giant salad to the uh, potluck, and so we make it. And we later find out that they had all been thrown away because of an E. coli recall. <laughs> so I think we essentially fed this like recalled salad mix to everyone. <laughs> and no one got sick or anything that I know of, but um, a lot of like pre made meals and stuff I've found. Um, I've only ever got caught once. I got I was in Sedona at a Whole Foods and someone came out and they made me put back a bunch of things that I had taken out of the dumpster because they claimed that it was a liability and so as soon as they turned around I stuffed a, a bunch of containers of hummus like into my shirt and just took off running. <laughs> Would you potentially advocate for some sort of um, generic or universal uh, release of liability for dumpster diving in particular? 
Uh, absolutely. I think it's like, I mean, food waste is such a shame, but it's also, I think, completely ridiculous that any company should, or like business or individual should like try and shame or like shut down someone eating out of the garbage because like it's not hurting anybody and it's ridiculous that they would be like oh you know like you can't eat out of our dumpster because you might sue us if you get sick like who's gonna do that and like how could you even make a case for that i think that's so stupid yeah i definitely believe that food waste is a a big issue and especially when the stuff that is probably fine to eat is just getting thrown away anyways that is a huge bummer Maybe a little bit um, more prudent to figure out what is wrong with produce before you start macking down on it. But um, So you also mentioned that you work remotely. Uh, we'd like to know a little bit about what you do for work. Sure. Um, it's actually pretty random and very niche, the position that I'm in. I work for a company that is based in Seattle, and uh, I sort of over it's a very small company it's called girls rock math and they do math-based summer camps for girls in elementary school aimed at lessening the stem gap between women and men in stem fields by inspiring confidence in math and science in girls at a young age because studies show that girls lose confidence in math um as early as elementary school so it's summer camps that try and make math fun and interesting and boost confidence for girls at a young age and um i worked for this company in seattle and then eventually um i was just running programs and then um slowly that somehow transitioned into a graphic design position um because that's something I've always been interested in and good at, and um, there was kind of a need for it for this company. And uh, I'm actually not very good at working with kids. I don't really like kids. <laughs> I'm not a patient person, and so you know, it just like kind of worked out. And then I started working remotely, and so uh, most of the year I work remotely as a graphic designer for this like really. Um, kind of random but really cool organization Um, and then during the summer I often return to the northwest and um, put together a lot of supplies and help run behind the scenes with the camps and stuff. So um, how did you originally get uh, involved with this uh, like math and stem camp? (laughs) Well, I was working, running youth programs for the YMCA, and I hated it. Uh, (laughs) I went two years without a raise. I was, like, barely above minimum wage. And all of these kids were, like, super mean. Because the kind of kids that end up in YMCA programs are often kids that, I don't know, it's, it's like, maybe lower-income families or kids that don't, like, they've... There was a lot of, like, kids with developmental disabilities and, like, autism and that sort of thing. And um, as I already mentioned, I don't really like kids that much. And here I was working with a very challenging demographic. And I just, it was, like, really wearing me down. I didn't really have, I, I have so much respect for people that are able to help these sorts of kids but it's just not for me and so I was like looking for other work and I was already like working with kids and at the time I wasn't like super burned out on it I just was like well I'm, I'm doing this like maybe I and I saw this this like ad posting for a similar position but I was like ooh, it's just with girls and it's this like really structured program I bet that'll be like 
what I'm doing now only easier. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started working for this other company, and um, uh, my boss is so amazing, and, and it's just such a cool company that that I've I've been with them now for like five or six years since 2016. So I think this will coming up on my fifth year. Um, specifically working with young girls, um, trying to bridge, um, the gap in, you know, the demographics of, um, the different genders being in different fields and things like that. It sounds incredibly empowering. Um, and, um, to kind of segue from that, what do you think is the most, most empowering thing to do for, let's say young girls, um, well, I don't, I don't, you know, know as, I don't have, like, a background professionally. I mean, like, other than working at these youth programs, like, the, the sorts of things that I studied in college and that I, you know, like, know a lot about isn't, like, I don't know, my, my path to my position and where I am now is very non-linear and, like, kind of random. So I don't have, like, a really good, like, textbook answer. Um, but I think, like... And it's it's interesting because my my role in the rock climbing community is is also something of like an uh, empowering thing for women too because a lot of the things I do are are things that women haven't done before and and put me in sort of a leadership and role model position and it all is like it's it's something that I really value and something that I I really want to give to the world, but I don't have like a a textbook answer for like any of, uh, I'm just, essentially I'm just like stumbling my way through all of these things and making it up as I go along. But I think like, as far as like my job goes, um, what we really aim for is boosting confidence. And that's, that's like kind of the mission is to make people feel like they can step outside of their comfort zone and that they can try things that might feel foreign or scary or that they're not good at. And that's like um, a really common thing in climbing too is, you know, it's like really hard to get outside of your comfort zone sometimes, especially when you're trad climbing. And um, so I think that's like kind of the first step towards like feeling more empowered in any field is feeling confident enough to kind of venture out into the unknown and to try things that you might not be good at right away and to just know that like it's okay to be a beginner it's okay to fail it's okay to like you know not you know not be you know the top of your game right away and to know that like it doesn't matter if something is like for you or for not if you're passionate about it if you like it if you think it's fun like it doesn't matter what it is, like, you should pursue it, even if you suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, um, kind of listening to you talk about that makes, made me think that it's really important to also see people in the fields that we want to be in or, like, doing the activities that we want to do that also kind of, like, remind us of ourselves, right? Um, to help us show that there are other people that are, either very confident in themselves and their ability or also are willing to to push themselves outside of their comfort zone in order to try to achieve something that um that they're really passionate about or really want to do or 
maybe no one's done before and things like that. Um, so in general, um, I think this can kind of be anything, but what would you say that you are most proud of? Um, I think, um, it, it would, the easy answer would be to just pick one of my climbing accomplishments because in the grand scheme of things, uh, I'm a pretty accomplished climber. I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but I think like in terms of just looking at my life and the things that I have experienced, I think that what I am most proud of would probably be um, moving into a van and buying a van and, and hitting the road because uh, it was something that took me a really long time to feel like I could have that life. You know, when I was younger, I, I heard about these like dirt bags from you know like decades ago some of my heroes that essentially were willing to you know dumpster dive and and like you know sell recycling for nickels to pay for their food and I there's like stories of of these climbers in Yosemite that ate dog food for for like seasons because they found a bunch of fucking dog food for free and and like I remember hearing about this at a younger age and just thinking like like that's I love that. Like people that don't care about the status quo, um, and they're they're willing to sacrifice so many creature comforts and so many like things that so much like things that are just like these comforts of life in order to pursue what they're most passionate about and live this lifestyle that doesn't like you know you, your parents are never going to tell you that this is the kind of person that you can be or that you should be and. I grew up in a really like, you know, I I grew up in this really status quo sort of like, I went, I was an IB student, which is international baccalaureate. It's like a really, it's like advanced placement, only like <laughs> more advanced pretty much. And that I like, it was just assumed that I was going to college and I didn't go to grad school or anything. My sister did, but just like, my dad's an engineer, everyone in my family's an engineer, and it just was like really, I was on this path, this like really straight and narrow path to be like very nine to five career-based status quo sort of, you know, like normal person. And it took me a really long time. You know, I, I always like heard about these, like these dirt bags and these people that I, I idolized, the people that really like, changed the world of climbing back in the day you know like Lynn Hill and and like John Backer and like all these people back in the day and I remember hearing about them and and I always just kind of thought like that's amazing that's incredible in another life maybe like that could have been me and at some point you know a lot a lot of things had to happen for me to realize that if I wanted that to be me then I could make that me and um, finally getting to a point where I decided that I didn't need to be this like status quo person and that I could, you know, like dream these like impossible dreams and these like huge things and, and just like make my life the way I wanted it to be and, and have it be so rewarding and fulfilling. Like it took a lot of personal growth and like really pushing myself outside my comfort zone to, to, to do that, to like move into a car and, you know, like hit the road and, and like figure it out as I went along and, and accept that like I 
was capable of dealing with all the the pitfalls and like you know breaking down in the middle of nowhere by yourself like these like crazy things that you don't expect and you have to be able to deal with like I I just like that I think that is maybe one of the things I'm most proud of in my life is is like finding it within myself to shed off all the things that I ever thought I just was had to be and to realize that I could be you know like whatever I I could do whatever I want with my life and and I don't have to fit into this box that I'd always you know just seen growing up and felt was expected of me I guess yeah I think that's that's incredible first of all and then um the idea of deciding to live a life that is different than what you thought that you would be you know growing up to be or something like that um and particularly doing something that is in a lot of ways to like modern society very like avant-garde and um still pursuing like this incredibly fulfilling life full of passion and like you know um meeting amazing people and doing amazing things and stuff like that and so you've got quite a bit of experience living on the road now do you have a number one tip for staying warm during the winter um i recently bought a so i live in a van and i don't think this would work if you're just in a car but I, I have a little Mr. Buddy heater that runs off these green propane cylinders. They're like 80 bucks. And I bought it last winter and immediately had buyer's remorse. I was like, you're getting soft. Like you weathered a winter in your Honda CRV. You don't need this. And, and I've, after like a day or two, I have never regretted that purchase. <laughs> um, I think if you were to run something like that in a small car, you'd probably get carbon monoxide poisoning, but in a van, it's like way more okay. Um, so I I really love that thing, but I think like more than that, um, just making hot water bottles at night really makes a difference. Uh, it got super cold here about a week ago, and just like having, you know, you like boil some water at night, fill it up in an algae or like one of those old lady things. Like I, I have like an old lady water bottle. It's got like a, I bought it at like um, what I bought it at this like estate sale in Smith Rock one year that was like this person had this like old lady had died and you could go into her house and essentially fill up like a cardboard box with as much of like her old shit as you wanted and it was five bucks and so like I got a bunch of like dishes and sewing stuff like random you know like old lady (laughs) shit and one of the things I found was this like you know just one of those like orangish reddish like hot water bottle things but the this person had made this like sheepskin like koozie for it essentially and so that it doesn't like burn your skin when you touch it (laughs) it's like built for this yeah and it's gotten me through a lot of cold nights um a lot of like single digit temperatures a lot of like (laughs) you know things like that and um so that's like a big thing for getting through the cold you know it's nice to to have another warm body if you can but that's not always realistic (laughs) one can hope (laughs) absolutely (laughs) um so if you could choose um any animal to speak a human language first of all what animal would you choose and what language would you want it to speak Ooh, this is a curveball (laughs) um 
Well, you know, for the sake of chaos, let's just say... Rather than taking the easy way out and having it speak English, I would want it to speak Pig Latin. And... I'm gonna pick... Mice. Because I interact with a lot of mice living in a van. I kill a lot of mice. But I'm also a vegetarian, so I, like, I have a lot of compassion for animals. And I, it is like this thing that I feel like I have to do, but I don't want to do. And if I could like communicate with them and just tell them, get the fuck out of my van or I'm going to kill you, then... You'd have to say it in pig Latin, though, right? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I'd save a lot of lives. And... Um, but, you know, like, it would be too, too easy to just have them speak my language. So, well, we'll have them speak Pig Latin, um, and then maybe they would not come into my van. And (laughs) I killed this summer. I, I'm not proud of this, but I did what I had to do. There was one night, um, where I was in Wyoming in Vitavu, which is home to the most mice I've, I've ever seen. I, I would like... I had to like make this trap with like a, a bucket filled with water and they would like go out on this rod and then fall into the bucket. Cause I was, I was like, I would set like three traps a night and I would kill like three mice and then I would reset the traps and kill three more, you know, like <laughs> all night, you know, I was just nonstop, nonstop mice in my van. And it sucks because the whole time it's just making me paranoid that I'm going to get the hauntavirus or something. And so I would make these like horrible water bucket traps. One night I killed 14 mice in one night in 12 hours and it was gruesome it was horrible like i don't i don't relish in killing animals i i've you know dedicated like the past like 15 years of my life to being uh someone that doesn't eat animals so you know if i could avoid the carnage it'd probably be a good thing <laughs> that's a whole lot of mice <laughs> that's like up. More, more than some people kill in their entire life in a single night. Yeah, it was fucked up. I hated it. I got a pack rat, too. I got to kill that, too, with a BB gun. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, um, maybe this, this fits, but um, what would you say was the most memorable memory of the last 365 days? Ooh. You know... You guys will like this. Um, actually, cold trip was probably the most the most memorable thing. Yeah. This was um, this New Year's party that's organized by the guy playing the synth right now. <laughs> and um, I spent the winter in Joshua Tree, which it was my first season there. I kind of went there because so my birthday is on New Year's Eve. And so I go like pretty far out of my way to seek out a good time that day. Um, luckily, it's not that hard because everyone parties on New Year's Eve. And I had heard that J Tree was like the place to go for a party. I've spent the last couple of seasons in Mexico and I didn't want to go to Mexico because I had a knee injury. And so I, I needed to be able to climb somewhere that didn't just like styles of climbing. You know, it's, it's too complicated to explain, but um, so I ended up in Joshua Tree, which is in Southern California, and I very randomly met all the people that organized this um, sort of event, and uh, essentially then like this crazy snowstorm hit, and we did a lot of drugs, spent a lot of days just stuck in vans because we couldn't get out of J Tree, and we couldn't like 
no one could like get to cell phone service or or like get their vans we we're all stuck in like these like icy parking lots and um and then it all culminated in this like massive event out in the middle of nowhere like this like huge just like it's nicknamed the nuclear wasteland by some this big flat dry lake bed and we had this like just huge desert party on my birthday on the last day of the year i think i danced for like eight hours straight like literally i'm not even exaggerating and there were like multiple djs and like kegs of hard kombucha and and you know like i it's rare that i would define a party as like one of the most important defining like memorable things normally i would pick some climbing accomplishment of which i've also had some like pretty life-changing ones in the past year but like that event you know when I look back on my life, <laughs> that's something that's something I, I think about and I'm like, damn, not very many people get to experience something like that. And I, I think that that was one of the coolest things that I've, I've gotten to do. Having been there, I agree. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I think I think like one of the things, too, that like makes it so cool is that I feel like I just stumbled my way into it. You know, it's like pretty easy for me to be like, I want to accomplish this thing in my life I want to pursue this goal this like dream and like make something happen and then go and then get it done and but I you know like this this kind of like social event like that's the kind of thing that you just get lucky you know you just stumble into and it happens and it's magical and it's beautiful and it's just a product of like human creation and like the people like I was talking about earlier like I think one of the most rewarding things about living in a van on the road is you meet so many cool people and and experience so many of these things that are not the kind of things you would experience in like a housebroken life and you know like if I lived in a house I could go climb hard things and make 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 waves in the climbing world doing that but you know only through a life of like travel and and experiencing you know like constantly like seeking out crazy experiences would I end up somewhere like this like wild desert party and (laughs) so it like stands out to me as kind of like a a big representation of of all of the great things about the lifestyle that I have that's amazing um so to today 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 and tonight is Halloween so it's we have good potential to recreate or not recreate but create a really great time Uh, folks around the campground look absolutely ridiculous Um, with us on the synthesizer as always is the green man or the man the brother from another planet Eric Santos and um, walking around the campground, um, well, actually, I can't really see anyone right now. But what are you dressed up as? So um, this year, there was an unofficial theme to have everyone dress up as um, things that are roots are named in Indian Creek. And there's a lot. I mean, Indian Creek is a huge climbing area. There's thousands of roots. And so some of the most popular ones are things that people are dressed up as. Um, Brother from Another Planet is one of them. Um, 
which Julian just said. I am dressed up as the pink flamingo. Okay. <laughs> which is a, a root. And it, so essentially I'm a giant feathery mess. I, I'm leaving a feather trail everywhere I go. Yeah, I can see some in the distance over there too. <laughs> I made this like mask out of an oven mitt, like a rubber <laughs> a rubber oven mitt that I bought at the dollar store and these like pink sunglasses. It looks like a mallard duck. I am hot pink from head to toe and it feels great. <laughs> That's awesome. And I am s- some weird conglomeration of a few things. Um, the cult the leader of the cult of the sacred cow. <laughs> Which is awesome because the sacred cow is a root that I've been meaning to go back to for like quite a while. <laughs> it's a beautiful root. <laughs> um, well, I will follow you and worship you on <laughs> if you go to Klon the sacred cow. Um, so, one final question Bing Bong? Uh. <laughs> Uh, capital D dingus dingus seven six five four. <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much for taking some time from your, especially being away from like morning stretch and stuff like that, to come hang out with us and tell us about your life. Um, it's been great um, learning more about you because we've hung out before, but I've got to learn so much more and. It's always a really fun process um, getting to talk with people in this kind of format, and um, yeah, it's it's a fun way to get to know people a little bit deeper, and also kind of share that with some other folks too. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it is 11 a.m. and I am pretty drunk. Thanks for all the tequila. Uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I think group stretch might be starting soon. So happy Halloween, everyone. All right. Happy Halloween. Get after it. So this has been first ever episode of Mobile Synth. Happy Halloween. No. Recording live in the Utah desert out of the back of Eric's van. Expect more. <laughs>